In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Everything in our gospel today is summarized by the last verse where Jesus says, Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Two imperatives. Have salt, make sure to have some on hand, and have it in you, and then also be at peace. And it seems these two are related. That is to say, they're, um, that one causes the other. You kind of get this from the flow of the gospel to this point. The having salt within yourself is the means of having peace with one another because the end goal of all of this is peace, to be at peace with one another. Now, this is a fundamental human project, this peace, one of the greatest gifts that a society can have, uh, either receive or achieve, is to have peace. Because the opposite of peace, war, which is actually much more normal around the world and throughout history than we might realize, war is destructive. It takes lives and it disrupts lives. It makes progress impossible. It takes resources and energy and ideas and devotes them all to the consuming pursuit of defeating an enemy, which may well need to be defeated, but still it's true that war disrupts and takes lives. Peace, by contrast, in the scriptures, is fruitful. Husbands are at home with their wives and their children, and as the psalmist wrapped poetic, Behold, thus shall a man be blessed that fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So the 128th Psalm here gives, just sort of paints a picture of a normal picture of life in Jerusalem, a normal picture of human life, but nonetheless beautiful. This is how the Lord blesses his people with prosperity and at last this benediction from the Lord, peace be upon Israel. Peace is a fundamental human project. It is fruitful and it is prosperous. But there are many ways that this project of building peace can go wrong. And we don't need to go very far in the Bible before it does. The Tower of Babel comes immediately to mind. There is a society on the plains of Shinar, in perfect peace. They understand each other. They're all pulling the same way. They all have one goal in mind. They have a united language. They have united labor force. And they promise to unite heaven and earth through their efforts. Man, by being at peace with other men, can achieve great things, can even build his way right up into heaven. The problem is God looks all the way down on their building project and condemns it. He shatters their unity. He destroys their peace because they're trying to build their way to heaven on their own. So peace can go bad. Another way that peace can go bad in the Bible is in the history of Judah, the southern kingdom. The prophets endlessly warn Judah not to seek peace with pagan foreign nations. They are to trust in God and not in Ephraim or Syria or Egypt as they are tempted to do, to seek refuge and peace in these foreign nations. That would, of course, work. It would bring worldly peace to Israel, to to Judah, the land uh, of God. 
but only temporarily. And what's worse, it would expose God's people to false worship and actually end up, this peace would end up pulling them away from God. So peace is a good thing. It's fruitful, humane, even sacred. But in keeping peace and unity, there are all kinds of ways to go wrong. And St. John the Apostle gives us another one in our Gospel for today. Today, John goes wrong by trying to stop a man who is casting out demons, sort of anonymously, in the name of Jesus. But he isn't following along with the disciples of Jesus. John thought that it would be best if all the followers of Jesus were actually following Jesus. But apparently, there are others who believe in Jesus and even who are doing mighty works in Jesus' name who are not with the disciples. And the least that we can say about this situation is that it's okay. Right? Jesus rebukes John. He says that this stranger who's exercising demons kind of at large is actually helping the disciples in their task. By his exorcisms, he is giving the disciples a cup of cold water. He is lightening their apostolic load. He's helping them out. Whoever is not against us, John, is for us. You don't have to pick a fight with everyone. And I suppose that is at least part of the application for us. Um, It is important to be orthodox and to teach the truth. Um, But it is also important not to be so obsessed with the errors of other Christians around uh, that it consumes us to the point where we neglect the good work they can do, the kind of benevolent work they can do in the name of Jesus. We don't um, have to affirm what they confess when it's in error, but neither do we have to obsess about every little thing that they, that they do in Jesus' name. Jesus desires peace for us. But the question, of course, is how do we get there? And he tells us, have salt within yourselves. Do not look for worldly sources of peace. Don't go over to Syria or down to Egypt looking for worldly peace. And do not try to force peace by being the world's policeman. Have salt instead within yourselves. Now this is, of course, a figure of speech. This is a symbol. And the question is, of what? Uh, and salt, you could, you, know, you could do a word study. You could probably uh, either read or write a book on this, uh, what salt means in the ancient world and, and what salt means throughout Scripture. Uh, but there's a very basic religious meaning of salt in the day-to-day lives of God's people, and that is salt is included in their offerings that they bring to the, to the temple or the tabernacle. Salt, for whatever reason, the salt of the covenant, says God, is never to be missing from your offerings. It's, it's added to the grain offering, which is added to the, you know, the, the general offerings that you bring to God's house. You know, when you, you, you bring your lamb, right, to the gate, uh, you lay your hand on the animal, you confess your sins, then you slit its throat, and you give it to the priest, and he does his thing, and, and then he puts it on the altar with the grain offering and with the salt offering, the salt of the covenant. So this is what salt means in the religious day-to-day lives of Israelites. Salt is added to sacrifices. So salt is sacrificial. It is included in these sacrifices. 
perhaps for some symbolic purpose. But this might shed some light on the rather harsh words that Jesus has for us today about you know, cutting off our hands and our feet and our eyes. Jesus teaches today about two different ways to cause scandal, two different situations that cause sin, cause someone to sin. First, he speaks generally about someone out there who causes a little one to sin and how that should be and how that is dealt with. And then second, he speaks more specifically about your causes to sin, what things cause you to sin, and then what to do about that. So two different teachings about the cause of sin. One is a great condemnation of someone else who's uh, someone uh, anonymous and someone who is kind of doing bad things, whoever they are, and the assurance that they will be dealt with in the end. And the other is a specific Warning against your own hands and your own feet and your own eyes that may be required to be sort of got rid of if they are a cause of sin for you. It seems to me Jesus, in the first example, is reassuring John. So John has tried to go after this anonymous exorcist, tried to stop him, and presumably what he's afraid of is that the work of this Um, exorcist, this person who's uh, casting out demons in Jesus' name but not connected to the disciples, he's concerned that he'll cause uh, little ones to sin, right? He's concerned that this man will do something wrong and that they will be led astray. So he stops the man. But Jesus stops John and tells him that uh, whoever is not against us is for us, John. And then he says, sort of, don't worry, John. All those who do cause little ones to sin will be dealt with severely. This stranger um, you know, has someone who he's accountable to, uh, probably God himself, and um, John doesn't have to worry about it. And then, of course, he turns kind of specifically to John, and he, uses, he addresses John using the singular, you, you singular, not you all, but just you personally. And he says... If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. So he's saying, John, you know, John who is so zealous to stop the third-party guy wandering around, needs also to be zealous about the causes of his own sins. Don't worry so much about strangers. Worry about your own members, your own hands, your own feet, your own eyes, your own temptations to sin. And that's because, as we said, the whole goal of this is peace. And the way of peace is not the way of blame. True enough, errors must be corrected. But true peace is not made by just being right about everything. True peace is made sacrificially. We do not make peace by being ourselves the stronger or the smarter or the more righteous of the two people. We make peace by having sacrificial salt within ourselves, by treating ourselves, as Paul says, treating our bodies as living sacrifices being offered to God, by reflecting constantly on ourselves, by confessing our sins to one another, and by praying for one another 
as, John, as James himself has instructed us to do, so that we might be healed. Luther tells us this. Remember his first thesis of the 95? He says, the entire life of the Christian is to be one of repentance. It is always a life of tearing out the causes of sin in us. In this life, we let God's word stand, and we let him tell us what is good for us, what is not, what is uh, actually the things that will make for peace. I mean, the, the gospel today comes off rather, rather harshly, doesn't it? it Jesus, in it, Jesus teaches about repentance and its cost, and sometimes the costs may be severe. We may be called to turn away from things that we like, or even things that we think are good for us, for the sake of what Jesus calls today something better, that is, entering into life. And this is actually what weaves Jesus' teachings and his warnings together today. This is the point. Jesus has something better. Jesus has something better for you. And this is what he means with all of these rather fiery verses that he gives us today. The things that we cling to in this life, the things that we worry or obsess over, the things that we think will help us, the things that we think will save us, will actually fail us in the end. They'll all be burned away. And so, if, for instance, our money causes us to sin, then it would be better for us if we had less of it. Or if our own self-image and what we think of ourselves and what others think of us causes us to sin, then it would be better if our image took a hit. If our physical fitness or our intelligence or our friendliness or our personality or whatever uh, cause us to sin, or even if our hand or our foot or our eye causes us to sin, well, you get the point. Jesus frames all of this as kind of things that are not as good as we think they are and is trying to give us something, as he says, something better. If Jesus is telling us then to cut these things out and to be vigilant about our lives in this way, it can only be because Jesus has something better for you. Jesus has, by the way, given himself for you. His, his hand and his foot and his eye, along with the rest of him, on his cross for your good. Will he not also graciously give you all things, all things that are worthy and good for your salvation? Because on his cross, Jesus gives you himself. And if he gives you himself, that is the better portion. That is the things that, that is better than all the things that cause us often to sin that cause us to trust in these other things rather than him. So one of the things that we need to see throughout, kind of underneath this whole reading, is that Jesus is, in this reading, he is setting us free from all of the things that it turns out will not stand the test of eternity in the end anyway. In the end, we will have no need of them. We will have no need of an occupation or a reputation or any need of anyone or anything except Christ alone and him crucified. 
Even that long section in James uh, condemning what he calls the rich is, is seen in this context. Uh, the rich don't actually need to be rich. That's, the, that's his point. The, the thing that is needed is confession and prayer. The things that are needed are the things that Jesus gives us, not the things that we think we need in this life. We do not need the riches of this world. We only need the peace that the world cannot give, the peace that Christ gives in rich measure. In fact, the, Christ, the, the, the peace that we proclaim every Sunday from this altar, the peace of the Lord be with you always. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.